Good evening, everybody. Sorry about that. Okay. Can everybody hear me? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. All right. I don't know. It says the nice speaker's not working properly, but I'm going to assume that it's fine. Okay. All right. We are. We were up to um, answering Amin, which is on. We're talking about. <clears throat> we're talking about one person making a bracha on behalf of others. Um, the concept of being motzi other people your bracha. And we were talking about, we, we had talked about different things about the way the bracha has to be made, whether or not you have to hear it in person, we talked about microphones, telephones, etc. And now we're discussing the answering of Amen on that bracha. So, um, so the listener who wishes to be Yotze, somebody who has wants somebody else to, to proactively engage them with their bracha, must answer amen to the bracha that they're hearing. Um, failure to respond uh, with amen does not prevent the listener from being yotze with the bracha, but um, ideally, that is what you're supposed to do. Some authorities maintain that the mvarch should have in mind to be yotze with the amen of the listener. That's already a little bit more, um, that's, a little bit, that's already a little bit more com- complicated. Um, and we'll get into that in a, in a few moments when we talk about whether or not it requires kavana, does it require intent in order for me to be motzi other people? If let's say I'm making a bracha on behalf of somebody else, do I have to have that in mind or does it work automatically? We'll get to that in a moment. But let's just go, this, just, um, this idea of answering amen, again, it's not, it's not something that, that uh, uh, changes the status of the bracha, that if you didn't answer amen, you're not yote because as we said, the mechanism for being yote with somebody else's bracha is what we call shamea ka'ona, by listening to the other person's bracha. It's as though I said it myself, whether that's practically as though I said it myself or or, or the idea is that it's uh, in halacha. We look at it as though you said it yourself. As we said, that's the two different ways of looking at it, but that's, the, that's, that's our reality when it comes to this. Okay, now... There is a there is an idea that every time you make a bracha, when somebody or when you hear somebody else making a bracha, you're supposed to answer after the name of Hashem, Baruch Hu Ubaruch Shemo. Right? Somebody says Baruch Ata Hashem. A person listening should answer Baruch Hu Ubaruch Shemo, which means that you're the person is saying, I'm saying, as we explained it previously, Baruch Ata Hashem. Hashem should allow the the source of his bracha to flow out from him and increase and be increased in the world. So I answer to that, or my response to that is that, that he is blessed and Hashem is, is great and, and, and multi, uh, um, a multi, uh, the, the sort of uh, increased in the Bria. And his name also, the name which defines the essence of what's on him is also uh, something that should be increased and recognized in the world. That idea of answering Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo is when I'm listening to somebody else making a bracha. Okay, I'm going to share with you a very a, 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 a um, fascinating point that that we find that this is problem that I find problematic with this in our regular Shabbos Avni. We'll see in, in one moment. Uh, 
So <coughs> I'm on page 104, number four. When one hears the recitation of the first three words of any bracha, Baruch Atah Hashem, one is requ usually required to respond Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo. However, in the event that one seeks to be Yotze, if I am, I am now having somebody else um, fulfill on my behalf the obligation to make this bracha, the listener should not respond with Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo. Now, the reason for that is elementary. As noted earlier, one can be Yotze with a bracha recited by another person because of the general principle. The underlying uh, reason for it is because we say your Shemea Ka'ona, it's as though you're saying the bracha yourself. If I'm saying, when I make my own bracha, I don't answer Baruch Hu Baruch Shema on my, on my own bracha. In fact, if I were to say Baruch Hu Baruch Shema on my own bracha, it would be problematic. It would be considered what we call, what we've mentioned before, a hefsek, an interruption in the bracha, and it would invalidate that, technically would invalidate that bracha because I'm separating the name of Hashem from the, 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 the summation, the end of that bracha. I'm, making, I'm separating those two things away. Uh, from one another. So, consequently, if the listener says, Baruch Hu Shmo, it's considered as if he recited the bracha with the addition of those words. And that interruption, that hefsek, places a serious question on the validity of the bracha. And, and as such, the relevant halachas would be as follows. A, one who answers Baruch Hu Shmo, is seems to be a machlokas, whether, whether or not he has to repeat the bracha himself. Most opinions say, uphold the ex post facto validity of the bracha to say that you could be yotze despite the fact that you interrupted because it's not a real hafsek. Um, uh, the, the preferred practice, um, being, which is that all these authorities almost unanimously agree, is that in the first instance, Baruch Hu Baruch Shmo should not be said when you wish to be yotze with a bracha because halacha, and because this halacha is not widely known, an announcement to this effect should be made to the congregation before the public recitation of the bracha over, for instance, the shofar, the megillah, etc., so that the mitzvah will be fulfilled by everyone in the most appropriate fashion. In other words, what we ideally, I don't recall that we actually make this announcement in our shul. I don't think that we do that. Before we make the bracha on the megillah or before we make the bracha on the shofar, we should instruct people, when you're listening to this bracha, do not answer baruch hu baruch shemo. We do tell this to people on Shavuos morning, when, when the chazan, when people have not slept, and the, you have somebody who did everybody a service and, and put his head down for an hour so that he should be able to make brachos in the morning. We do tell everybody who's listening, do not interrupt with baruch hu baruch shemo when you're listening to these brachos. Because that that would that would invalidate or technically potentially invalidate your listening to the bracha. Here's my problem with this, and then I will share with you. Rabbi Forst shares another interesting insight, which I think I have an answer to. But let's see in a moment. Um, uh, my my issue with this is as follows: Every Shabbos, um, uh, for those of you that are there in Shul on Shabbos, during the reading of the Haftorah. So the way it works is like this: um, when you uh, when you read from the when you when you read from a cloth, for instance, you read from the Sefer Torah, um, you're not actually being motzi everybody. Um, it's not a question of you're doing it on their behalf. Meaning, really, everybody should be reading from the Torah. Just we can't all read, so therefore we have somebody read for us. That's really not the way it's working. 
uh, uh, let me digress just for a moment to uh, prove this point to you halachically for just a moment. The halacha is that the reading of the Torah can be done by anyone. Um, uh, I'm not going to go into the reasons because it would take us into a much more complicated discussion, which I invite you to join with me on Monday afternoons if you would like to hear any depth into that. But the halacha is that one anyone can read from the, the Mishnah states, the Mishnah in Megillah, actually, which we just had in Zafiomi states, that anyone can do Kriya Torah, men, women, or children. Men, women, or children. The Gemara gives reasons why women shouldn't do it. The Gemara gives reasons why the Katanim shouldn't, why children shouldn't do it. But at the end of the day, what it says is, is that anyone can read from the Torah. Now, if I, the person reading from the Torah, was fulfilling an obligation on your behalf, meaning he was doing the Kriya, and you're being Yotze with his reading from the Torah, then how could a Katan do it? I'm not getting into uh, w- w- women is a, is a separate issue, but I will assume that everybody's Chayab in this mitzvah, so therefore women could be Moitzi a man in that, or a woman could be Moitzi a man in that, in, that, in, that, in that mitzvah, but a Katan, a child, has no obligations. He has no Chayubim. He certainly can't be Moitzi. He certainly cannot fulfill the obligation on behalf of the others. Everybody with me on that, right? That makes sense, right? So the fact that he, when he reads from the Torah, that's good enough, says that the point of Kriyasa Torah is simply that you must hear the Torah being read. That's all it is. You must hear the Torah being read from a kosher Torah scroll, from, from the Torah, not from a Chumash, specifically. Okay. When it comes to Haftarah, it happens to be, by the way, in many, many places, the Minag is that Haftarah is also read, by, is read even by a Katan, sometimes by a Katan. In some places... This is, um, for, you have to have uh, traveled a little and been in, in many different minyanim to have seen this. But in some places, they actually read the Haftarah from a scroll, just like a Sefer Torah. There is a, there is, and that is the ideal way in which the Haftarah should be read, is to be read from a scroll. When you're not reading from a scroll, the halacha is that you have to read it yourself. So let's say we were stuck in a shul somewhere, and unfortunately, they didn't have a kasha sefer Torah. Then everybody would take out their chumash, and they would read the parsha for themselves, and then they'd take out a, a navi, and they would read the haftarah for themselves. If you have a scroll, then somebody can read for you. They're not being motziyu. They're, being, they're, they're doing the reading of the Torah, which is what's necessary. You have to hear the Torah being read. You, you've heard the Torah being read. It doesn't matter who reads it as long as it's being read from that scroll. The same thing applies to Haftarah. So we do not have a Haftarah scroll in our, in our shul. We're not fortunate. Unfortunately, we don't have it. It would be a big terchel for somebody to actually prepare the Haftarah, perhaps even sometimes even more difficult than preparing the Parsha because the words are much more difficult and the trap is, uh, is much more erratic. But, but be that as it may, halachically, what's supposed to happen is for the Haftarah is somebody should make the brachos and we should all be reading the Haftarah from our Chumashim. We're not really Yotze. We don't really fulfill our obligation by simply listening to somebody else read it because he's not reading it from a scroll. He's reading it from a Tanakh. He's reading it from a book, which is not, which is, which is not the same. Okay. If that's the case, right? If that's the case. So when the person who gets the last Aliyah and he makes the brachos on the Haftarah, He's actually being motzi you. He's actually reading, making the bracha on your behalf so that you can read the haftarah. Now, for those of you that are familiar with the, with the nusach of the haftarah, you will know that the, the bracha after the haftarah lends itself to answering baruch hu ubaruch shemo in the middle of that, of, that, of, of that bracha. This to me is a very, very troubling idea. 
because since we're all supposed to be reading the Haftorah for ourselves, then we shouldn't be answering Baruch Hu Baruch Shmo when we make that bracha. In fact, some of you might recall on the occasions when I do get the, 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 that Aliyah, I actually rush through it so that people should not answer Baruch Hu Baruch Shmo. Probably some people are thinking, oh, Rabbi Shochet's just tone deaf, which happens to be true, but, but, and he doesn't get, and he doesn't get it right. But no, it's actually deliberate. I'm actually deliberately doing it that way that people should not answer Baruch Hu Baruch Shmo for this very problem because I'm being motzi you. I am, I am making the bracha on your behalf and you are fulfilling your, your obligation to make the bracha on the Haftarah before you read the Haftarah. You, me, and everybody else in the show, we're all supposed to read that Haftarah along with the person who is reading it. It's not good enough to just listen. You actually are supposed to be reading it. I have never found a solution to this. Marty Sacklad once told me that my, I was machaving to Rabbi Yosheber Salavechik, that Rabbi Yosheber held the same way. And he also said he would tell people not to answer Baruch Hu Baruch Shemal. I asked Rabbi Berger, who's a big posek in Baltimore, why we don't do that. And he said, ah, oh, that's the Menega Olam. That's, that's the custom, which is to me, that means there's no real good explanation for it. That's just the way people have been doing it for the last who knows how long. I don't know how old this Nusach is. This Nusach, this Nusach, this this tune that we say for the for the Birkas Haftarah, it's all over the world. I have traveled in, I have been in, in, in fortunate in my lifetime to hear Haftarah read in many different countries around the world, and they all say it the same way. All of them. They all, there's no, I've never seen it done any other way. The only ones that don't do it like that is by Hasidim. If you're ever in a Hasidish Shtibol, nobody gets there, nobody reads the Haftarah, and nobody reads the Brachos for anybody. Everybody says the Brachos and says the Haftarah themselves, which to me, makes the most sense. That's really what everybody should do. We should just make the bracha yourself and do it. Perhaps last at the end of last week, we spoke about if you have three people, then it's better to have one person make the bracha for everybody because of Rov Am Hadras Melech, that there's a greater glory to Hashem if one if we're all together. So maybe that's the reason why one person makes the brachas for us. But why we answer Baruch Hu Baruch Shemel, I don't know. I don't have, if somebody here is a good answer to that, um, I'd be very happy to hear. Okay, but just as an aside, Take a look at footnote if you have the book in front of you at footnote number 21. Um, the discussion raised by the postkim, whether or not you are Yotze, whether or not you fulfill your obligation, when you answer Baruch Hu Baruch you have to repeat the bracha yourself, um, centers on the issue of whether or not that is constitutes a hefsek in the bracha, whether or not that's considered an interruption to the bracha. There is, however, so this is Rabbi Force talking now, an additional problem which has not been addressed. Normally, and the, so here, so here, I think I have a resolution to this. I'm going to put it out there. You listen to listen to the problem that he raises, and you tell me what you think. Normally, one who recites a bracha to be motzi another does not pause after reciting the shame to allow his listeners to respond baruch hu baruch shmo. If I know that I'm being motzi you, which is, for instance, Rabbi Shocha when he does the haftorah knows that he's being motzi everybody with that bracha, so he rushes through it in a way that people shouldn't answer Baruch Hu Baruch Shmo. Unfortunately for Rabbi Shochet, there are lots of people in Shul who have, are very familiar with how the Haftarah is supposed to go, and they try to interrupt and catch him off, you know, and say the Baruch Hu Baruch Shmo anyway. Here's the problem. If that happens, right, consequently, one who does say Baruch Hu Baruch Shmo will undoubtedly be saying it while the Mavarech continues, while the person who's making that bracha, saying the bracha out loud, continues on to the next words. So now, here you have listener, the listener sitting in the audience, and you have the person up there on, on the in the bima making the bracha on the Haftarah. 
he says, um, right? So the way the Nusach goes, it, it lends itself to Baruch Hashem, and everybody says Baruch Hu and then you end saying, then you continue Makadesh Hashabbos, for instance, right? Um, uh, so, so if you rush through it in a way that doesn't that you that you don't let that you don't let people you don't want people to say Baruch because you know that you want them to hear your bracha, then you're saying Makadesh Hashabbos while they're saying Baruch Hu Now, let's figure that. Let's go through this now. What's happening? When I say the bracha, you are being yotze, you're fulfilling your obligation because of Shomea Ka'one as though you're saying it. Then it comes out that you're saying Baruch Hu because that's what you're actually saying with your mouth, but you're also saying the next words, Makadish HaShabbos at the same time because I'm saying those words on your behalf. Now it comes out that that's, as we all know, it's impossible to actually say two things at the same time, but you are now accomplishing the impossible, saying two things at the same time, which amounts to gibberish, it amounts to saying not, nothing. Because if, and that, that's, that's Rabbi Force's issue. The listener will thus be speaking simultaneously with the Mavarech at the same time. And even if we concede that it's possible to hear while one is speaking, the question nevertheless remains, can one be Yotzeh Bracha by means of Shemekha Ona while he speaks? Perhaps the spoken and heard words combine into an unintelligible and meaningless combination of sounds. Now you got a bigger, that, now you have a bigger problem. This is far more serious than the problem of a simple hefsik. Now you ended off your bracha with just it's something that just it, it, it doesn't make any that doesn't make any sense. So I would say that the the on some level that ideally what you should probably do is pause so that everybody could say baruch hu even if they're not supposed to do that because at least then it's a suffix, at least then it's a doubt. Some say you're Yotze, some say you're not Yotze. It seems to be a machlokas haposkim, a debate amongst the different halachic decisors, whether or not that's considered a hefsek, is that considered an interruption? But if you go ahead and rush through the words, then perhaps you're putting people even in a more compromised position, because now they're, they, are, they are saying something unintelligible, and you're certainly not Yotze with that. That is the problem that he leads off with. Um, um, so the, it says Rebbe first in the last line of you, the postkim, however, make no mention of this problem in reference to Baruch Hu and he doesn't know why not. He leaves it off with a question. So I would say that, well, the truth of the matter is it really takes a half a second to say Baruch Hu and perhaps people are, if the person's saying the Baruch slowly enough, you could actually get the Baruch Hu in before the person actually says it, and perhaps I'm rethinking my own strategy, if you will, that it's not worthwhile rushing through it because since some people are so much in the habit of saying Baruch Hu on the Birkas Torah, even though they really technically should not do that, but it's better than them getting everything all mixed up together. Something to think about. I just, uh, just I find that uh, fascinating. Okay, let's continue now um, with the next section of what goes into this concept of being motzi other people of of making a bracha on behalf of somebody else. So, what is the required kavana? What are the required intentions in order for this to be successful? This is very relevant. You're standing at the Shabbos. You're standing at the Shabbos table making kiddush, right? And does the person who's making kiddush, let's say you're at a bar mitzvah, right? You're at a bar mitzvah, and there's a person making kiddush at one table. And people at the next table are listening in. But the person making Kiddush didn't know those people at the next table were listening in. Is it good enough? 
Did they hear Kiddush because they heard what he said, even though he didn't know that he was being motzi them? Or vice versa, somebody stands up to make Kiddush, he has in mind everybody, but the people weren't paying attention. And then all of a sudden, this Kiddush is being said, and they, and they, 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 weren't, they weren't thinking about it. So the accepted ruling is as follows. In the opinion of most authorities, the listener cannot be yotze with the bracha of the mavarich, cannot fulfill his obligation by hearing from somebody else unless the mavarich intended to be motzi listener, unless it was the intent of the person making the bracha that he should help that per, the other person fulfill his obligation. The listener too must intend to be yotze with the recital of the bracha. And of course, the listener himself has to have in mind that he's being yotze. However, that is that is the generally speaking, that is I, for certainly the, 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 I, in, the, in an ideal situation, that is absolutely what should happen. There is, however, a minority view and that the failure of the Mavarek to be intend to be motzi the listener or the failure of the listener to intend to be yotze does not invalidate the bracha for the listener, okay? It doesn't invalidate that for, for the following reason. Um, if you take a look in footnote number 23 over here, um, he, he, he points out a, a fascinating idea. Um, we, Rabbi Kiva Eger, raised the most interesting question. We have noted that most brachos are only rabbinic in origin. They're only a mitzvah de rabbanan. They're only rabbanan oriented. The Magan of Ram rules the one who performs a mitzvah de rabbanan without kavana, anytime you do a mitzvah de rabbanan, without intending to do the mitzvah, without the thought that I'm doing this for the purpose of fulfilling the mitzvah, I just happen to do it, right, has fulfilled his obligation. So then, if, that, if that's the case, why do the mavarech and the listener have to have intent in order to be yotzi with that bracha? The bracha is derabanan. You're fine on derabanans even if you don't have kavana, even if you don't have the intent behind it, you're yotzi anyway. So why, isn't, why doesn't that work? So... So the Chazunish and the Nitziv, the Chazunish is, is uh, Rami Shaya Karelitz. He was one of the leaders of the Jewish people of the of the Renaissance of Torah life in in Eretz Yisrael post the war. He died in the in the in the uh, early 1960s and the founder of Bnei Brak, etc. I'm sure you've heard 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 of him before. He's called the Chazunish because that was the name of his sefer. That was the name of the book that he wrote, the commentary that he wrote to the actually on on the on the Rambam was called Chazon Ish, of course, Ish being a, a, an, an acronym for Avram Yeshaya, Avram Yeshaya, because his name was Avram Yeshaya Karelitz. The Nitziv is Rav Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, the last Rosh Hashiva of the, of the, um, of the Yeshiva in Valazhin. Um, famous, most famous, most well-known to us because of his commentary on Chomesh called Haim Ekdavar, but he wrote numerous other halachic works and other types of work, including the Shiltas, and, and he wrote Merom uh, Sade, which is a commentary on, the, on Shas, and he wrote also Ha'emek uh, She'ela, which is a, which is a, which is a, which is a Shalos Achubas, which is a, a collection of responsa, quite a prolific writer, um, most famous for, I'll say, most famous for a very interesting story. They say that the Nitziv as a child was not very well behaved. This is this is this story. I believe is apocryphal, and and the reason why I say this story is like Barrowine, the great the historian, often says that these stories. It doesn't matter whether or not they happened or they didn't happen. The point is they don't say those stories about me and you. The point is that you, you the lessons to be learned from these stories are phenomenal. The story they say about the Nitziv was that when he was about six or seven years old, 
the, the Rebbe in the Cheder came to him and came to his parents and said that, uh, that your son is just so, he, he's not smart, he doesn't have what it takes, and you should probably apprentice him out to become a shoemaker. Um, because he's really never going to make it in, in the world of, the, of learning, in the world of the yeshivas. Supposedly, the Natsiv spent the whole night crying, and he, and he cried to his parents all night. The next day, uh, he convinced his parents to let him stay in learning. From then on, he became very serious. And it, the, the result is all of these different from the Natsiv would say at the end of his life, had, had they turned me into a shoemaker, right, they would have asked, where's the Shiltus? Where's the Haimek Sheila? Where's the Haimek Dabar? Where's the Marame Sadeh? Where are all these from? Nobody's asking where are the shichalach that the netziv didn't 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 make. Where are the shoes that the netziv never uh, never made? Right, so that that we're not worried about. So anyway, the point being that um, okay, so so the question here is uh, why why do you have to hear? Why do you have to have intent? It's only a mitzvah drabanan, and a mitzvah drabanan you don't need to have intent. So the netzivik they explain the rule of shemayek only requires a distinctive bond between. The motzi, the one who is making the bracha, and the shamea, the one who's hearing the bracha. And for that, you require intent. It's not that the mitzvah requires the intent. It's that the bond between the one hearing the bracha and the one making the bracha needs to be established. And that can only be established when they both have intent to fulfill the mitzvah. That's, that's, that's how they explain it. Um, now... If Shomei Ka'ona is understood merely in the sense that one's listening is considered as though you're speaking, it will be hard-pressed to justify the need for special kavana. But if, they, if it's just a mechanism by which we allow you to make it as though you made a bracha for me, then we understand how this, could, how this, this specific intent is necessary. Okay, now, um, uh, according to this view, by merely listening to a bracha made by another one can fulfill one's obligation. Okay, if this view were to govern one who merely hears another recite a bracha would not be permitted to subsequently recite the same bracha. The, the, the difference would be this. If I heard a bracha that somebody else made, and it doesn't require specific intent for me to be yotze, for me to fulfill my obligation when that person makes a bracha, it creates another problem. Let's say you're in shul, right? And they make the rav gets up and he makes a bracha, right? And then he counts the Omer. Now, can I make a bracha on Sviras Omer myself? So you're going to say, well, why not? He made the bracha, but you didn't make the bracha. But if we're saying that, that Shomei Kaona, the way it works, is as long as you heard somebody else making the bracha, it's as though you made the bracha yourself, even if you didn't have intent to fulfill the mitzvah with his bracha, then it comes out, I already made the bracha. Now I can't make the bracha for myself. In that case, point the post can point out, one would have to have specific kavana, specific intent, not to be yotze, not to fulfill my obligation when I hear it from somebody else, so that I can make my own bracha. Otherwise, I'm already yotze. I'm sitting around the supper table and somebody makes a bracha of shahakol miyabit baruch. I didn't think, I wasn't thinking to be yotze, but I also have, have something on my plate that I have to eat with a shahakol. If I don't have in mind not to be yotze, according to this, I already made the shahakol, and now I can't make my own bracha. A person would have to have specific intent. We have we we have a principle in halacha that if you intend not to do something, we can't force you to do it. But here we're saying it would, it would require specific intent. So to avert this problem, it's preferable that whenever one does not seek to be yotzi with another's recital of a bracha, one should specifically intend not 
to be yotze, and one so which would which that would help, or alternatively, one who did not follow the step may nevertheless recite his own bracha on, for instance, Sversa Omer or my own shackle, if the, based on the following idea, since normally you make your own brachos on your own food, you make your own bracha on Sversa Omer, you make your own bracha on whatever it is then we can assume that the status quo, so to speak, the chazaka, as it were, the, the, the default position is that you don't want to be yotze, you do not want to fulfill your obligation by hearing somebody else's bracha, unless it's the type of thing which you always listen to somebody else's bracha. For instance, Kiddush, right? Now, Kiddush, by the way, would be an exception to this rule anyway, because Kiddush is a daraisa. Kiddush is, is, is a... Mitzvah Doraisa to make Kiddush. It's not only a Durabanan. Everything over here followed was only a Durabanan, so that would be something that, that, that would change. It would be a little bit different. Okay. All right. So that brings us to the end of this idea of what's necessary in order to be Yotze with somebody else. That is, first of all, it's important that one uh, answer Amin to the bracha that somebody else is saying, that you listen to every word that they say and hear it without any interruption. Do not interrupt with Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo. And you even, but preferably you should have intent to be Yotze with whatever it is that they're saying. But even if you didn't have intent, you're still, you still would be Yotze. Now, let's talk about what constitutes uh, inter- an interruption in between the bracha that I heard and actually fulfilling the mitzvah, which will be what we would call the hefsek, which would then require me to make my own bracha. So... Um, at the bottom of page 107, hefsek or prohibited interruptions. Immediately upon completion of a bracha, whether it be a birkas whether it be a bracha on food or something that I get benefit from, or birkas mitzvos, or a bracha on a mitzvah that I'm supposed to be doing, the mavarech, the person who made the bracha, is required to perform whatever act that bracha was announcing, so to speak. So if I made a bracha on the lulav, I have to shake my lulav right away, or pick at least pick up my lulav right away. If I made a bracha on the megillah, I have to read the megillah right away. If I made a bracha on an apple, then I have to eat my apple right away. There can't be any interruption. So um, the, in chapter one, the laws concerning what constitutes a hesed between the bracha and the act were set forth. We already described what that is. We now confront the implications of a hefsek for one seeking to be yotze with somebody else's bracha. There are there other things where I am being fulfilling my obligation by somebody else's making a bracha. What are the what are the laws of hefsek? And one of the most important one, ideas of hefsek over here would be what about if somebody else made a hefsek? Let's say somebody's making kiddush for me, or somebody's making whatever bracha it is, hamotzi for me, and for whatever reason, before they ate the food. They made a hefsek. So they made a bracha. I was yotze with their bracha, but they weren't yotze with their own bracha. Does that still work for me? So it's forbidden for one who is being motzi another with a bracha to create a hefsek between his own bracha and the performance of the subject eating to being yotze with his bracha. A hefsek, an interruption, destroys the efficacy of the bracha for the mavarech for the person who made the bracha and transforms it into a bracha of atala, a bracha for no reason. So some authorities maintain that if the listener hears the bracha properly pronounced and then proceeds to eat the food without any hefsek of his own, as long as I, who I'm listening to somebody else make a bracha on my behalf, and I go ahead and I eat without any hefsek, right, then I'm yotzeh because 
the hefsek of the mavarech, the fact that the person who made the bracha interrupts his own bracha, that's his bracha got interrupted. But he his bracha already transferred to me, so to speak, and I fulfilled my obligation that goes on with the bracha, and that's fine. Other poskim, however, take the view that since the mavarech created a hefsek, his bracha, his whole bracha was transformed into a bracha levatala. And now what transfers to me is also a bracha levatala, an, an, an invalidated bracha. Um, and therefore the bracha has to be repeated. Now, if the hefsek of the mavarech was not deliberate, but the bracha was unfulfilled due to circumstances beyond his control, somebody made kiddush. Let's say, here's, here's a great example, right? So as you know, when you make Kiddush, the halacha is that the Kiddush is, goes on all uncovered wine at the time that you make Kiddush. I'm not sure if you were aware of that. In other words, you can go, ladies, you can go ahead and set up your Shabbos table, pour wine in everybody's glasses by their seats before you start. And then whenever makes Kiddush, makes Kiddush. And then everybody can just drink from the wine right, that's right, right in front of them. You don't have to do any of this passing and waiting and all the rest of that. Just have the wine right in front of them because any wine that's uncovered at the time that you're making Kiddush that's already part of your, that's already part of your Kiddush. What happens if you did that, but the person who was making Kiddush, right as he finished the bracha, psh, he dropped it. The, the, the cup slipped out of his hand and the wine spilled. So the person who made the bracha never ended up drinking any wine. Can I still drink my wine that's in front of me, despite the fact that the person who made Kiddush was not Yotze with that Kiddush? So if the hefsek of the mavarach was not delivered, but the bracha was unfulfilled due to circumstances beyond his control, the bracha is still valid for the listener. So, for example, the miset of Rebbe got from the wine. Before he's able to drink, he realized that the, well, that the cup contains water and not wine. He made a mistake completely. He made a wrong bracha. The listeners may nevertheless drink their wine on the basis of his bracha. The bracha of the mavarech, the bracha that the person making the bracha was not an intentional bracha levatala and is therefore valid for his listeners. Or if after the Mavarak recites the bracha on the wine, the cup falls and its contents spill, the bracha levatala is unintentional and is therefore valid for the listeners. He didn't deliberately make a bracha that was deliberately invalidated right after that. What about if the person listening made a hefsek? Let's say the, somebody made kiddush, right? And then somebody who was listening, before they got to drink the wine, they spoke to the person sitting next to them. They said, they said oh, could you pass that to me? Could you pass me a napkin? having nothing to do with that, pass me a tissue, having nothing to do with the bracha that was just made, right? And what's going to happen? So when the listener creates the hefsek, the problem is more serious. In this case, it cannot be argued that the listener executed his bracha according to the halacha because he he separate, he made an, an a, he interrupted between the bracha and the mitzvah that needed to be fulfilled. So the fundamental principle of Shomei Ka'ona declares that listening is the equivalent of reciting. So according to a hefsek after listening is the parallel after uh, to a hefsek after the recitation of one's own bracha. It would be the equivalent of if I make a bracha on an apple and then I ask somebody to give me a tissue to blow my nose before I take a bite of the apple. But now you've invalidated that bracha. So the same thing applies to the person listening. Therefore, although the mavarich did not interrupt and his bracha is valid, even though the person who was making the bracha did everything, did everything, and he drank the cup of wine, etc. But and his bracha was a good bracha, but it was only a good bracha for him, not for me. So um, um, therefore, although the Mavarak did not interrupt and his bracha is valid, the listener still has to repeat that bracha and won't be won't that won't be satisfactory. Okay. Um, that is the that is the that is the the general principle in terms of. Hefsek. Okay. 
I don't want to. Um, yeah, let's start. This is a, let's start. Um, let's start with the with this next idea. The this is sort of the underlying principle that the underlying mechanism for one person being motzi another person was shomea kaone. The underlying principle of why shomea kaone works or why somebody else making a bracha on my behalf could actually work is something called arvus, which we but we mentioned we mentioned this I think last week. This idea of of joint responsibility that all every Jew is responsible for every other Jew in the world, everything that happens to him and everything that he does, and all of his obligations. We're all responsible for one another. We have, we cannot step away from that responsibility. So a necessary prerequisite for one person being motzi another with a mitzvah for one person to allow to be the agent to fulfill the mitzvah on somebody else's behalf, right? Is or um, is that they share a common obligation in the performance of that mitzvah or the recitation of that bracha. Since you have that obligation and I have that obligation, so your obligation translates into my obligation. And just like you're obligated, I'm obligated as well. One who has no obligation to recite a bracha, so somebody who doesn't have any obligation to to recite a bracha, a good example, as we said before, for instance, is a child uh, visa, uh, um, uh, in in the context of a parent, or for instance, a lady when it comes to a mitzvah sasecha asman grama, that ladies are not chayav mitzvahs, that ladies are not chayavin. So, for instance, a lady does not have to um, hear the shofar; she does not have to uh, shake the lulav. Those are all; those are both examples of mitzvah sasecha asman grama, positive time-bound mitzvahs that a woman's not obligated in. So a lady could not make a bracha for a man under those circumstances because she's not obligated in the mitzvah. If she doesn't have that obligation, she can't share the obli- his obligation with him. So one who has no obligation to recite a bracha cannot be mitzvah one another who has such an obligation. And examples of that abound. Women being mitzvah men, women cannot be mitzvah men with a bracha on such mitzvahs as esrog or shofar or the, the sounding of the shofar itself since they have no halachically mandated obligation. That's just to point that out. It's not a halachically mandated obligation, although it has become commonplace in our te- in our time, certainly, that ladies do do these mitzvot, they are, but they're not obligated halachically to do so. They do so voluntarily, which brings up a whole different interesting shiloh as to whether or not they can make a bracha at all. If I'm doing something voluntarily, do I make a bracha? Don't I make a bracha? It is a machlokas, it is a debate between Sephardic and Ashkenazic postkim. The Sephardi postkim hold that women do not make a bracha on Mitzvah Grama. The Ashkenazi postkim hold that, that most emphatically that women should make a bracha on that if they're doing the mitzvah. Um, but, but regardless, they can, it's not the same obligation as that of, of a man. And therefore, they have since they're in different categories, they can't be motzi one another. Since so, um, they cannot be motzi men who do not bear this halachic, men who do bear this halachic responsibility. A woman can, however, be motzi another woman because her obligation is of the same stature or the same level, the same type as his. And the same thing applies with minors being motzi adults, children under the age of halachic adulthood. 12 years for a girl or 13 years for a boy, cannot, for similar reasons, be motzi adults. And although children who have reached the age of six or seven have an obligation to perform mitzvot, six or seven is considered the age at which a child has enough intelligence to understand what they're doing. 
The Gemara used talks about it as a child has enough intelligence to understand uh, the idea of a monetary transaction, ownership, and uh, and the like, from around the age of six or seven, and at, therefore at that point in time they become obligated out of a por- for the purpose of training them to do the mitzvahs properly. They become chayiv in the mitzvahs of chinuch from the age of six or seven to do the mitzvah to do mitzvahs. Um, so that obligation is tied to the learning process and is only rabbinic in origin and therefore does not give them a full responsibility to perform the mitzvahs. Therefore, they can't be moti, not a man or a lady. A, a minor, however, could be moti, another minor. He could help another minor be fulfill his obligation. Um, uh, uh, the, the, um, the exception to this would be something which is a rabbinic obligation on both of them. So for instance, if a minor ate enough food to be satisfied and an adult ate just a little snack, which was not satisfactory, which we bench on anyway. In that situation, a cotton, even a minor, could be motzi, an adult, could be could fulfill the obligation for an adult for birka samozan, etc., because they both have the same obligation. Um, okay, but but as long as they're not of, of the same level of obligation, so then um, you you you're not going to you're not going to to be mechayevim. Um, it's worthwhile seeing. Um, we're sort of out of time, but it's worthwhile seeing footnote number 35 over here, which is a, a fascinating discussion as in, in defining exactly what is the key of the obligation to perform a mitzvah and whether or not you have to be chayav at that moment or if you were already yotze or if you pre- previously fulfilled the obligation, which is what we'll discuss in greater depth next week. Let's say I heard Kiddush and Shul and assuming that I could be yotze with the Kiddush that I heard in Shul, so now I come home and my wife didn't come. That can I make kiddush on her behalf? I already heard Abdullah, and then somebody comes into the house and they want to hear Abdullah. And those types of situations, what happens in those types of things? That's where we'll pick up on Mirz Hashem next week. Okay, thank you very much, everybody. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you.